Welcome to another episode of the Talking Adapted PE podcast. I have Heidi Ambrosius with us, who I'm really excited to get to talk to. Heidi, welcome to the show and tell uh, the audience a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. I'm super happy to be here. I'm glad we could finally connect with our busy schedules. So uh, as you mentioned, my name is Heidi Ambrosius. I am a full-time adapted PE specialist for the Moreno Valley Unified School District. Uh, this is my 25th year teaching in Moreno Valley. I do primarily work with preschoolers in that district. I also am an adjunct faculty at Cal State San Bernardino for their adapted PE program there. And I'm about to be our state council on adapted PE chair um, pretty soon here. So my plate is very full. I have a lot of things um, that I'm doing, but primarily my focus is preschool adapted PE. 25 years. That's a long time. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into all your knowledge in the field, plus you're teaching at the college level and congratulations on your new chairship of the uh, state council. Why don't, you tell us, why don't you tell us a little bit about your district, the size of it, the populations that, you know, how many schools are in the district, how many teachers maybe you're a part of your department's a part of. Gotcha. Yeah. So our district, I don't know exactly how many special education students we currently have in our district. We do have about 36 schools in our district, and we only have one centralized preschool. So I know that districts do preschool differently. Some districts have their preschools at various elementary sites. Uh, we just have one centralized preschool. So um, that's why I end up with a lot of students at that one particular site and do a lot of assessments at that site as well. There are six adapted PE teachers in my district. I do feel that we need more. We are growing as a district. They're building more and more homes in our area. And so we definitely have grown. We've seen growth in a lot of the other uh, specialist areas, such as psychs and OTs and PTs and speech therapists. So we're really feeling like we need that extra support as well. Um, so typically, I think most of us have a caseload between about 50 and 60, which kind of sounds manageable, but some of our APE teachers have upwards of about nine sites, which is just too many at this point with the number of students that we're getting at those particular sites. So some of those teachers, if there aren't special day class programs at those sites, they might not tend to have the higher numbers that the sites with those special day class programs might have, but it's still a lot to juggle. And I still have one other elementary site. So I do have uh, the preschool in addition to that one other elementary site, which even that is difficult to juggle just because of the numbers of the students coming through our preschool. But we're growing just like everyone's growing and hoping that our special ed administration will support us in adding a position because it's been about 15 years since we've added one. So I think it's probably time. Yeah, I think so. If I don't know if this will make you feel any better, but in San Diego, um, we are my staff will typically support sometimes upwards of nine schools with 50 to 60 kids and we have 39 of us. So I don't know if it makes you feel any better. And of course, FTEs are always a hot topic of conversation. You also touched on something that I think is really interesting because um, you talked about, you know, the more schools you have, it's harder to serve them. The other element that makes it time consuming, but if it's what the kid requires, we need to do it. But is if we're going to support in general PE, sometimes 
like a single student of ours will go with a gen ed class to PE, right? Whereas yeah. you can, in 30 minutes, you could teach an entire special day class. So in terms of use of time, it becomes this balance of, you know, where are you serving the kid? Because you have to give up as much time, if not more, just to serve that one kid in general PE versus Absolutely. a small group setting. And it's, it, it really is this balance that you have to strike. It, it absolutely is. And I'm really glad that you brought that up because I don't think that's something, again, there's many things about adapted PE that administrators don't understand. And that's a big one. We have lots of different types of service delivery models that we provide our students based on what the student requires. So typically other service providers, they might do a little bit of push in and a little bit of pull out, but they might only have one or two sites like a speech therapist or even an RSP teacher. And we have all these different sites and all these different students that our schedule, our schedule has to be dictated by where the students need us, right? So, okay, what time does that student have physical education? Well, I need to be there on that day when that student has physical education. So that is a, a huge issue that is definitely part of our scope of practice that I think a lot of administrators don't understand. The other impact that we're seeing is TK. Now that the TK ages are getting younger and younger, and I could go on a lot about my thoughts on TK, um, but part of that is impacting um, the rest of the APE teachers, whereas I would have kept those students at the preschool level. Now they're being spread out amongst the schools. And we also have inclusion programs for Head Start and state preschool. So those teachers at those schools are getting those kids as well. So they're getting TK kids, they're getting preschool kids, some of them are AM and some of them are PM. So it's just kind of like what you were saying. Well, okay. It's not just like when I first started in the district, I pretty much could go to one site, like one morning a week or one afternoon a week, see all my students and I'd be good to go. And now they're more spread out because of more inclusion, which is wonderful, but that definitely has an impact on the way that we are able to provide our services and our schedules. Um, so I'm really glad you brought that up because we are definitely seeing the impact of that in our district and just the way that it impacts our scheduling is it makes it even more difficult. Well, and it ties into the larger uh, kind of hot button issue in our field of service versus placement. So if we truly are a service and not a placement on that principle alone, at least in my mind, that means every student has a right to physical education. So what does that physical education ultimately look like? And if it is some level of general PE, and it might just be attendance and warm up, by the way, but if that is their least restrictive environment, and then you have to step in and facilitate the rest of it, then so be it. That's what it is. But again, these are conversations that have to take place with yourself, the special ed team, the parents, even the general PE team, especially with me at the high school, it involves schedule, like actual schedule, not just my schedule, but like actual scheduling issues so Absolutely. Th th there is so much to it but I'm going to jump back to your your preschool kind of your area expertise and preschool is also an area in our field that um, some places like San Diego Unified we do serve preschool other areas I hear they don't and I hear mm -hmm. a really funny reason that where they're like well they're not accessing PE so I have to serve them it's like well the, the law actually says otherwise the law <laughs> You do have to serve. Yes. Um, so it's interesting. But why don't you just give, why don't we just start with what does your preschool programming uh, for adapted PE look like? Um, you know, because we have different versions of preschool. We have blended, we have special day, we have, you know, et cetera. We do have the AMP. Absolutely. So why, don't, 
Why don't you just tell yeah. us kind of what your APE setup at preschool looks like? Yeah. So yeah, you touched on my soapbox, which is why I do a lot of advocacy for early childhood adapted PE because early intervention works. And if we can really work with kiddos, the younger they are and provide them that basic, the basic skills that they need in order to participate in physical education, then later on down the line, the whole point is to get them in that LRE for PE. So the window of opportunity, the growth that we see in students from three to five years of age developmentally in all areas, not just a, a gross motor, is huge. We see huge growth in, in those particular age ranges because their brains are so open to everything and they just soak everything up and neurodevelopmentally that's where they're at. They're learning through gross motor play and gross motor movement. And it really helps those students to get that intervention. The earlier, the better. Motor so, is cognition at that age, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I've seen it firsthand. I know some people have said those kind of excuses, like you say, well, no PE is required. But again, we are a direct service and we can be offered when a student, um, turns three when they're going to start preschool. And actually, even before that, there are some districts that while we're not typically on an IFSP, there are some districts that when students come in, if the districts have their own infant program, and if the student's only need is a gross motor need, then the adapted PE specialist might actually be their case manager. And that might be Again, kind of like that standalone service, even on an IFSP, which is why our credentials actually birth through 22. Right. And when we tell people that, they don't always realize that. So it is very, very, very important. And our preschool has a lot of different types of programs, like you mentioned, your preschool programs do. We do have our own infant program on our campus, which is wonderful because we get to know those kids, we get to know those families. And then when they do transition to the preschool, we know their motor needs already. We've already had a lot of collaboration with those parents. We do have a motor room at our preschool. I do share that room with our occupational therapist, our CODA, and our PT and our PT assistant. And we do a lot of really um, awesome things in our motor room. And one of the things is that those infant classes actually get to come into our motor room once a week for about 15 to 20 minutes. And it is a parent participation program. It's a center-based infant program. So the parents are with them and we just let them play. We set up different gross motor activities, uh, fine motor activities, sensory motor activities. But it's a great way for, again, us to get to know the parents and we do get to know those students that have those motor needs. And even though we're not on the IFSP, where we are at least helping those parents and establishing those connections. Um, and then once they do transition, then we we are familiar with them, they're familiar with us, and it's just a great bridge uh, for our students that are on IFSPs. Can, so, I, jump, can I just jump yeah, in? Um, yeah. I just wanted for the listeners, they may not know an IFSP is an individualized family service plan, which is the precursor to an IEP that yes. when the student is not quite accessing public education yet, there is still uh, a legal document that is with the, the student and the family that they get these services. So I just wanted to, yeah. I didn't want yes, to- Yes, thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, so that's from birth to three. 
And then we do get a referral packet for those students that are receiving early intervention services. They have to get that packet to us 90 days before the child's third birthday. So our assessment team gets those packets. We look through them. We see what are the areas that this child might need to be assessed in. So we do have assessment team meetings twice a week. And we're all part of that team. So that's the school, the school psychologists, the speech therapists, our OT, myself. Uh, sometimes our PT is there. She can't generally make it. So we'll look at their gross motor on their IFSP and see if there are any concerns in that area. And then when our schools, either our school psychologists or our speech pathologists, depending on who's doing the intake. So if they believe that the school psychologist needs to assess that student, then the school psych will actually sit down with the family and do an intake. And they will literally talk about every single developmental area to get an idea of where that child needs to be assessed. And then it's the same if it's if the psych does not need to assess, then that might be the speech therapist that's doing that intake. And occasionally, if there are no other areas of concern other than gross motor, then it might be the adapted PE specialist, myself, that's doing that intake. And then that might also include OT and or PT, depending on the needs of that student. And then we do also get those search and serves. So those family members or Head Start state preschool programs that refer students to be assessed. And so that's kind of the starting point once we get those uh, signed assessment plans, then of course we do our assessment, we hold that initial IEP, and then we'll offer those uh, services to those students that are eligible and that do require those services. So our preschool has several different programs. We do have a language group program. So if a student has average receptive language, but they have delays in their expressive language, then they might attend our language group program, which just meets twice a week for one hour. And then we do have also a two-day special day class program. Uh, that again is for kids that might need a little bit more than the language group, but they don't necessarily need uh, a four-day special day class because we didn't we do then also have the four-day special day class program for our students that need more support. They have receptive and expressive language, language delays. They might have intellectual disabilities. They might have other disabilities that they are dealing with where they need more support. Mm -hmm. And then our students who only get articulation or only get adapted PE, sometimes they go to their home school to get those services. It just depends on the student and what the needs are. So if we have a student that's getting APE, OTPT, they typically do still come to our site because we're able to coordinate all of those services for the family at our site. Whereas if they go to their home school, the OT's there on one day, the PT's there on another day, the APE teacher's there on another day, and it makes it a lot more difficult for parents. So sometimes we do keep them at our site for that reason. And if they do come to our site, then we do also offer them transportation if that is something that the parents would like. And we do also have kids that are in all of those different types of services that also get APE services or OT services or PT services. So like right now I have three students that are in a language group and the speech therapist and the parents 
luckily were able to schedule them all at the same time. So on Wednesdays, they come to language group from eight to nine, and then they come to APE from nine to 9.30. And then sometimes if they have to stay for OT or PT, then they can stay for those services as well. So just like you were saying, we have lots of different programs. We do also have Head Start and state preschool programs in our district. And some of those programs are inclusion programs. So our inclusion programs mean that we have a, a regular either state preschool or Head Start teacher. And then we also have a special education, an early childhood special education teacher in that class as well. And so a lot of our students do go to uh, those inclusion programs if we feel that it is appropriate for them. And that's a good way for them to get that academic instruction. So that's why I was saying like, we used to just have that at our preschool, but now those programs are spread out. So we're definitely seeing the impact on all the APE teachers in our district, having to work with all the different age levels that we're dealing with. I think um, for our listeners that are tuning in that maybe aren't serving preschool, their head may be spinning a little bit at all the different types of preschools and levels. And that's been an adjustment for our district, even as you know, we used to maybe have less models of preschool. And so in essence, it was a little bit easier to serve them. You know, we used to have sort of just the, I don't even know what the right name would be, but we would have the reverse mainstreamers. So it would be a special ed preschool class with um, three to five. Those peer models. Dreamers, peer models. Yeah. Come in. We would take the whole class and we could do it. The other thing I thought that was interesting is you touched on the infant program uh, and San Diego Unified does have infant programs, plural. Uh, what's interesting to me in supporting those populations or assessing is exposure versus delay. So does the student just lack exposure because what are the parents <laughs> doing? Are they, are they doing enough tummy time mm -hmm. or are they in a YMCA gymnastics class that obviously there's other um, levels of privilege that come with that, that, you, that, you know, you may, parents may not be able to afford to do it versus a family that can. So it, it becomes at that, at that age, because everything's arranged, it becomes, mm -hmm. it's tricky, right? When you're doing those tests, Absolutely. it's tricky. Absolutely it is. And especially due to COVID. Yeah, that's another we're getting okay it's 2023 now so we're getting those babies that were born mm -hmm. in 2020 so stayed home that whole time exactly didn't even go to the park didn't do a lot of that gross motor exposure that we might see so it does get tricky and sometimes there are those there are those students that you assess where you're really not sure and it can be difficult. It absolutely can be difficult between that lack Especially of Especially at that age, though, you know, because as yeah. they're older, if they're if they're in fifth grade and they're not, they're still low on developmental milestones. Like that's a massive delay, right? Like that's easy. Mm -hmm. um, or you know, you have a TGMP yeah. that can help delineate and whatnot. But right. So I think one of the neat things about working with with preschool age, and I know a lot of school districts their APE teachers do a lot of push-in mm -hmm. or collaboration. So they go into the preschool classroom and they work with all the kids in that classroom. And that is a great model at this age because that is their natural learning environment. At that age is that preschool classroom. That's what they know. That's what's familiar to them. All the supports that they require in the classroom are available to you as the adaptive PE teacher if you are pushing in. And I know obviously that benefits all the kids, right? Because then you're kind of like, okay, well, you know, when you're working with the kids, you kind of get a sense for, well, let's say Johnny doesn't know how to catch a ball. 
But if I just kind of tell him, okay, well, you need to put your arms out and watch the ball, and then he's able to catch it. You can see that the processing be, take yes, place. That might be it. that lack of exposure mm-hmm. as Correct. opposed to a child on the autism spectrum that mm-hmm. doesn't even understand that you're there, doesn't understand when you put your arms out that you're expecting them to give you the right. ball That's or exactly don't, right. yeah, they don't even have that basic so those, skill. Those language of, group kiddos, they kind of yeah. pick it up to your point and you're like, oh, you just haven't had exposure. I'm going to hold off. Let's see you a little longer. Let's see how you do in a group setting, et cetera. Exactly. Right. Those, those students yeah. where if there's a clear disconnect that they're not understanding what I'm asking of them. And then, yes, you know. but it is definitely an issue with this age group, especially due to COVID. Sure. And that's a, it, it's a great question and it, it gets tricky. And so sometimes I use multiple different assessments with my preschoolers for that reason, because they might score okay, like on the brigands. But then maybe I give them the developmental assessment of young children, which is very heavy on balance and locomotor. And we might see more of a delay on that assessment per se. So it does get tricky. And sometimes I will have parents bring the kids back multiple times if I don't get a good idea of where they're at to do more observations, to do more assessment. And then again, like you said, you can always put them on consult or minimal service. If you really feel that they don't require maybe that weekly direct service at that point and you feel like, okay, let's wait until they are in school and get some more of that exposure. And we're definitely seeing the effects of COVID due to um, that lack of exposure with all of our students. So it is definitely something to be aware of and that it just makes us realize, you know, okay, I need to do a very, very thorough assessment and to see just comes down to what do you really feel this child requires? You know, do you really feel that they do need adaptive PE services at this time? And then let's say you do qualify them and you start working with them and you're like, okay, clearly <laughs> this was probably lack of exposure. Then you might want to reduce those services or ask the parents to do another evaluation uh, things like that. But those are definitely good points that, which does get tricky, especially with this age group. A question I often ask myself when I'm assessing for initial purposes is if I were to, and it's tougher with preschool because in theory, again, that PE program doesn't exist. But question I ask myself is if you were to drop this student in a PE class with zero level of support, do they, do they float? Do they swim? Do they sink? That's kind of what I what I try to imagine and then sort of, you know, go from there. The other thing I was going to add is you brought up the ex- we brought up the example of, you know, a student that you're, you ask them to extend their arms and they just they're, they're making no connection. Maybe they're not even making eye contact. At the same time, you might have a student where observationally you observe a ton of gross motor skills. But again, when you go in to dig deeper and ask them to reproduce them on with a prompt or on command, as would be expected in a class setting, and they just can't follow through with that, right? So that's where the weakness lies. So it's not mm-hmm. that the skills aren't there, the skills are there. So mm-hmm. it's all these factors that go into it, you know? Absolutely. And that is something, again, that is a little bit more unique to our service. Although oftentimes when I'm talking about it, I equiv- equivocate it to pragmatics with speech and language. So, okay, do they have the speech and language skills? Yes or no, but are they able to utilize them 
that, that pragmatic piece. So we definitely look at that as well, especially with our students on the autism spectrum. So they might have a lot of those skills when you go to test them individually. But again, like you said, you put them in that group setting and are they able to function? Are they able to utilize those skills? And of course, because of the increasing numbers of students on the autism spectrum, we're seeing that more and more and more. And I always make that clear to parents. I've made that part of my assessment report. I talk about participation. I talk about reciprocal motor skills. And I actually made a checklist uh, based on play skills. So I found all these different play skills from all these different assessments and I pulled them all in and I made a preschool reciprocal motor play skills checklist because that really does impact our students. And if they don't have the basis of that, like they don't even roll a ball back and forth, which we would expect to see of a nine or 12 month old child, that's a skill that they need to be able to learn. And it's hard because it's like, I've had a lot of people question, well, is that really adapted PE? And it's like, well, yes, because that is one of the building blocks mm -hmm. that that student requires in order to be able to participate in any type of physical education or even adapted PE service. So I have a lot of those types of goals for my students on the spectrum. And I can't tell you what a difference it makes because by the time they leave the preschool, most of them understand the basic back and forth reciprocal motor. Mm -hmm. Their skills might not be great, but we're getting there. We're working on that. And I can't imagine not having taught them that at the preschool level. And now I'm sending them on to kindergarten or TK and they don't even have that, that basic skill that they could have if, you know, these districts that don't service their preschoolers. I think about that a lot. Like they could have learned that when they were in preschool kind of a thing. So it is very, very important. And I know that in the past, there's been this disconnect between adapted PE and behavior because a lot of times people say, well, just because a student can't participate or isn't willing to participate doesn't mean that they need to be an adapted PE. And that is true for some students. But if it's directly related to their disability, then they can still receive adapted PE support. Again, the support might look different because if they have the skills, then it might be like you were saying before about a, a push-in model that maybe that's what they need is they need that support during those group PE times. But we have to look at all those different factors and the way that that disability impacts that student and how we as adaptive PE teachers can help them participate in their least restrictive environment and to the best of their ability. We want them to be able to, to do that. So I know that that's kind of been controversial in the past a little bit, which I understand. We can't just make kids participate, but we can help. And I think even our administrators just look at the eligibility criteria. They're like, well, they don't meet eligibility criteria. What are you talking about? They scored in the average or low average range. How can you say they're eligible for adapted PE services? And it's like, well, and I've come up with some very creative ways to word that in my report. Like, yes, you know, um, they have the skills, but they're not able to utilize those skills in game situations due to their disability. Therefore, they are eligible and they do require some adapted PE support.
Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying this conversation. I'm trying to flag in my head the things you're saying that are that are piquing my interest. So on that last point about behavior, um, I I 100% agree with you. And what I say to my teachers that I, that I oversee is, you know, if their behavior is preventing them from accessing a physical education curriculum, therefore they at some point that will catch up with them and their skills it will impact their skills. But the other thing I say to my teachers too, though, is is that an IEP is supposed to go across environments with a student, though. So if there's already a behavior improvement plan in a BIP, if there's already something like that in place, start there because the team is supposed to be implementing that across domains. So that doesn't mean that, oh, all of a sudden they need adapted PE. Find out what the BIP is and how are they supporting that in PE then? You know, and so maybe you're, you're supporting on that consult level. The other thing I was going to say that, you know, we were talking so much about preschool and it's so critical and you're so right. There's also this subset of kids, though, that I would say can have their needs met by general PE through about, let's say, second grade, because it's just producing motor skills Mm -hmm. and it's just producing bounce and catch a ball to yourself. Sure, you do some reciprocal bounce it to a peer. It's, you know, it's all pretend to be an animal, do this, do that. And it's and it's great. And that's the level the kids are at. But I'm noticing that there is a disconnect then to those kids have the skills, but then they cannot begin in third grade when the state, like across the the academic standards, take a jump in third grade. I feel our, at least in California, our state standards take a bit of a jump too. And we start mm-hmm. looking at those gameplay pieces and those you start to notice that's where the gaps are. And it's so fascinating when you think about it, because think of all the hidden levels of communication that are in games. I have to be looking at you so you know I'm ready. Or I can do, now third graders aren't doing no look passes, but again, you get the idea mm-hmm. I'm saying. But there's all these hidden things of communication that I pass it, I have to move to space. Or I'm, you know, I, how do I get away from a defender? And so kids that naturally are on the spectrum that struggle with reading situations and communication, that's going to be really hard for them. And so we have these kids that sure, they can run, jump, skip, gallop. They can climb the highest level of the play structure. They might even be able to dribble but they're going to stand when you put them in a game. They're going to stand and the game is just going to move around them. Um, So I just bring that up because of all the different things we have to look at when we're trying to support these kids. Absolutely. And you bring up really, really, really good points. And I'm actually teaching a behavior class at Cal State San Bernardino this semester for our PE and APE majors. And that's one of the most important things I tell them. I say, look, you probably aren't going to be the person that's going to have to create the behavior plan, but you definitely need to know what it is and and know that you may need to be implementing that within physical education as well and have that communication with all the team members to be able to assist that student in being able to participate in physical education and adapted physical education. So that's very, very, very important. Although I have told them, you never know, you might have that student someday that their behavior is fine in the classroom, but not in PE. <laughs> so you might actually be the one that has to develop a behavior, a behavior plan, but that they definitely need to attend those IEPs so that they are on the same page as the team and that they understand the behavior interventions that the entire team should be utilizing for that student. And then what you bring up with elementary PE is is spot on. And I always tell parents, even if I assess a student at the preschool level, and maybe they're not eligible at the preschool level, I tell them, you know, definitely keep an eye on your student and have those conversations with their teacher, because they might be doing okay right now. 
But later on, when more is required of them, we want to make sure that they continue to be able to, to keep up. So a lot of times if I'm exiting a student, I will keep them on consult and I will have that conversation with whichever APE teacher is receiving them at the elementary level. Like, hey, you know, they're doing okay right now, but I think they need to be monitored for whatever reason, because it's a completely different animal participating in circle time, gross motor, PE type activities, and actually being able to participate in a more structured physical education setting, which again, we can't see at the preschool just yet because that's not required. But another issue that goes along with that is that our elementary uh, elementary teachers, that they're technically credentialed to teach physical education in California. And like my district, we don't have elementary PE teachers. So it's hot and cold when I go, let's say I'm assessing a student and I'm like, you know, I need to observe this student during PE. And they look at me like, you know, and I know that look, I know that's the, oh, we don't really do PE look kind of a thing. And so that's very frustrating uh, because then I feel like they're not going to necessarily get all those skills that they need in elementary school because all those skills, as we know, as APE teachers, they're going to need all those skills when they get to middle school and high school in order to participate in physical education. So it's frustrating to be in a district that doesn't provide elementary physical education teachers because it depends on the school. It depends on the teacher. Some of our schools are amazing with PE. They're great. And then other ones aren't so great. But looking at that piece and being able to look at, can that student participate in their least restrictive environment for PE? Like you said, there's so many nuances to that we, where we have to look at, do they have the skills? Do they have the social skills? All those things that we have to break down as the adapted PE specialist to be able to say whether or not they are able to participate. Because of course we want them to be able to participate. We want them to gain all the skills that, that they can, especially in those younger ages when those fundamental motor skills are, are so very important. Yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make one more comment, and I think you and I could probably nerd out for hours and hours based on this, based on how our conversation is just rolling back and back and forth. But then I'll move into some some quicker hitting questions here. But um, I'm really, really, like I said earlier, I really am enjoying it. I I think some of what you just said resonates with me that I'm trying to push our teachers to actually. Um, so historically in my district, the consult level of approach is typically when we're starting to fade services is when we've started to go to that be like, oh, so you go, their skills progress, students are doing great. And by the time they get to middle and high school, it's like, hey, like, yeah, they're not going to be in the MBA, but like they can, they can function in general PE. And so we fade down to consult and then we're kind of like hands off. But now like, wow, like what a, what a great level of service consult could actually be if you like commit to consulting and if you commit to educating the general PE teacher, or in your case, it's unfortunate, but working with those elementary PE teachers, which is another layer is you go out there and you're like, whoa, I could, I could be doing this way better than they are, but that's not actually my job <laughs> right now. I'm not yeah. actually the PE teacher, even though I could be crushing it right now. So that that's, I know in California, that's something we face and that's interesting. But yeah, that consult level is just something that we can, uh, I think we can utilize more. I don't know if you had any quick thoughts on that. Absolutely. I know in our district, anytime a student is making a big jump, like when they're going from preschool to elementary school, when they're going from elementary to middle or middle to high, 
we do tend to either keep them maybe once a month and have some type of goal if they do require a goal or move them to more of a consult model. And we have, you know, in the past, we typically were like monthly consult, monthly consult, monthly consult. Well, some kids need more than that. So that twice a month consult or even, you know, three or four times a month consult, well, depending on the needs of that student. Are going every day to PE, sorry to jump in. I'm not yeah, sure. No, go ahead. But um, I've had conversations with my colleagues that also lead our department that if a lot of our students go in middle and high school, they go out to a roster every day, but they may just need a five or 10 minute check-in every day that adds up to 30 minutes a week or whatever it might be. And that's really, you really are just consulting there. You're just checking in. Hey, are you good for the lesson, Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so or whatnot, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, it doesn't have to be this once a month thing is what I was trying to support what you were saying there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've even heard of APE teachers literally being there every single day, like providing direct service, not teaching the class necessarily, but actually because they they just know that they're, they're afraid their students aren't going to be able to be successful if they're not there. So I know that's tough because, you know, technically that's not our job to be there every day. We should be able to set up that student for success. But I know that they don't always have the support that's needed while they're out there. So obviously we have to keep fighting the good fight and fighting for that support. I really hate to hear that, oh, well, that's the teacher's prep and that's the, all the aides are at lunch during that time. It's like, well, wait a minute. Students typically need more support during PE time than they even do in the classroom because it's a larger environment. There's a lot more going on. There tends to be a lot more kids. So I always tell, you know, APE teachers, if they're struggling with that, to really fight for that because whatever support our students need they're entitled to that during PE minimally. And maybe they need even more than that while they're in their PE class. So I know it can be tough. And again, like we were talking about schedules, you're like, oh my gosh, how could I possibly be there that many times per week, even though you know that that's what your student requires. Mm -hmm. So I know it's tough. It's tough for, for APE teachers to support students unless they have a really good PE teacher that they're working with. But that's one of the things I will tell you that I'm super excited about because at Cal State San Bernardino, our program is now integrated. So all of the pedagogy majors have to take the APE coursework. They don't have to get their APE credential. They're not forced to student teach or get their APE credential, but they do have to take the coursework so that they are more prepared to work with all students, because that's what we want. We want our PE teachers to be comfortable working with kids with different needs. We're going to be there to support you no matter what. Don't worry about that. But if you at least have some general idea of different disabling conditions, different types of behavior management strategies that might work with children with special needs and things like that, we're hoping that kind of our next generation of physical education teachers will have more knowledge in that area and that all of our students will be able to be more successful in PE. I love it. I know being educated in New York and I, I graduated in uh, 2007. So it's been, I mean, almost two decades at this point or better part of a decade and a half, but um, we, there was at least, so there was a adapted PE concentration you could do in addition to PE, but even if you were just PE, you at least did have to do a practice, a, a class and a practicum 
in our space. Now, it, 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 quite honestly, that's a minimal requirement, but it was still nice that something was being done so that individuals could be prepared. And then some of us chose to, you know, go a step further. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to move into what I call the fast five part of our uh uh, interview where I just ask you quick questions and you can just you can just give a quick answer. And so uh, first okay. one up, what's your favorite piece of equipment when teaching? My balance beam. I have so many students that have difficulty with balance and I use my balance beam. I also have the balance buckets and I use them almost every week in something that we do. But we we don't just walk across them. You know, that would be boring. We do lots of different fun things with bean bags and um, for St. Patrick's Day, we did fishing. So they had to fish for the shamrock and then carry it, balance it and carry it across the balance beam. So that's probably uh, my number one go to awesome. would be my balance beam. Awesome. So you're, you're speaking about I started with preschool. I'm, I've am i done it all. And I so you're talking to a younger Chris there of all those balance beam <laughs> activities for sure. Uh, if you if you utilize any technology in your teaching, what's your favorite app that you use? I use a lot of YouTube. I do really? a lot of YouTube videos, um, but I'm very picky about the ones that I use because the pace is so quick that a lot of times my students can't necessarily keep up. So of course, during distance learning, so many districts made so many amazing videos. And so I do utilize a lot of those. And then I also use a lot of movement cards. So they're digital, they're on the computer. Um, but I put them into like the little spinners. And even though I used them during distance learning, my did students- Did you make those or buy those? So the, 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 the movement cards, did you make so them? So most of them I purchased Okay. Um, through Pink Oatmeal or Teacher Pay Teacher. Yeah, TPT. And yeah. yeah, and I, it's the kids, it's so cute because when we came back in person, I was kind of thinking, all right, I don't know how much of this I'm going to be able to use with my preschoolers. But they love it. They love pushing the button and making the spinner go. And then they get so excited. It's like they won the lottery, depending on which card they get. And they're all thematic. I love themes at the preschool level. So I've got dinosaurs. I've got animals and you name it. I've got movement cards to kind of go with it. So I do utilize a lot of the of the movement cards from Pink Oatmeal and Teacher Pay Teacher. And then several of the videos um, from YouTube. But I have found... Some of my students just want to watch the videos when we do videos. So I don't always do videos. I will sing the songs myself and do the movements with the songs uh, instead of the video. If I have a student that's like that, if they're willing to move to it and they're good at imitating, then I will, I will absolutely use the video. Awesome. Best teaching purchase under a hundred dollars. Oh, that's a good question. Probably my floor basketball hoop. Perfect. So I love, I used to just use a, was like one that went in the water, but those are way more expensive. I think it's SNS discount has one now that's like 50 or 60 bucks. And the, the legs actually come off of it. And it's so great because it's accessible to all of my students, whether or not they're utilizing a wheelchair, if they're in a gate trainer, if they're in a walker, I use cube chairs with my preschoolers. And a lot of them we work on catching if they have balance issues while they're seated before we work on catching while they're standing. So it takes away that balance element. And I have that little floor basketball hoop and I've just used it with just about all of my students, even students that are visually impaired. 
because if they're seated or they're standing, they can feel where the rim of the basketball hoop is to be able to toss the ball in. And those are relatively inexpensive, which makes me very happy. <laughs> That's great. You know, on the inexpensive front, something I started using is I went to a hardware store and I got the like, they look like a collapsible garbage can, but they're a little sturdier because they're the leaf receptacle ones. So they they collapse yes. down. Yes, we small. have one of those. Yes. Yeah. And then I, That's a great un idea. I, I unbuckle it. It stands up and we can use it as throwing target or I can lay them on their side and then become a goal. Um I use them for storage purposes where I'll store things in them. And then when I need to teach with them, I'll just kind of shuffle things around. So that's great. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. So that, that's, my that's husband, I have to say, my husband also made us a ball pit out of PVC and stair netting and that's pool a good noodles, right there. It's a good which husband. is a Yeah. And I, that probably cost around a hundred dollars, honestly. I mean, his labor is more expensive. <laughs> Right, right. He signed kidding. up for that by marrying you. So I, I think know, right? you know what I mean? He knows. Yeah, because those for. ball pits are thousands and thousands of dollars. And our principal saw it on Pinterest and he was able to make one for us. And that is that is a huge hit. I actually get in the ball pit with the kids. And that's a lot of where we work on our catching and throwing yeah. skills is actually in the ball. Especially pit. at the age that you specialize in without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. What is, uh, what is one thing in your teaching bag you just can't live without? Poly spots. Yeah. A lot of people have said that, by the you way. Know, yeah. I, 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 you know, our students even more, I think all students benefit from a poly spot, but our students even more than that, because they really need the help learning the body awareness and the spatial awareness that just even like those kiddos that I'm teaching just to reach out, to try to catch the ball. If they know where to stand in space, that's, that's a huge scale <laughs> that they're going to need in order to be able to participate in just about any type of physical activity. So we do a lot of our catching and throwing while they're standing on that spot marker and they learn it so fast. It's amazing to me how quickly they learn. They learn that. And that is probably, yeah, one of the most invaluable things that I think helps us, helps us teach. That's Awesome. And then lastly, just what is the best piece of advice that you'd offer another teacher? I would say just keep teaching with your heart. You know, it, it like gets, it. it gets very, it gets tough. We, we know we've been there, you know, I've had nine schools. I started off with nine schools in my district. I had everything. I've had everything from preschool up to 22 and it can be tough. I know coming back from COVID was very, very, very difficult. COVID itself was very difficult for us. And coming back was difficult. And I think just remembering your passion and your heart and always appreciating the small victories that our students make every day is, is huge. And I think we all live through our students like that when we see them be successful. When I was getting my credential, I remember I studied under Dr. Perky Vetter at Cal Poly Pomona, and she asked us, what is your philosophy about adapted PE? And my personal philosophy was that I wanted my students to have positive movement experiences because I knew what that could do for them, not only during PE, but in their life in general. 
So the more that we can be positive and, and continue to teach with that heart and that passion that we have for our field and for our students, it carries us a long way. And I think that's one of the reasons that things like this, the podcasts and conferences and workshops and things where we can get together and we can help fuel each other and help support each other, then we know going back into our daily lives that we have that we have that support and we have that reignited fire that that we have for our for our students. I love that answer, especially the latter part where you talk about just a positive movement experience, because I actually do quite a bit of co-teaching. And I think especially coming off of COVID, our kids, our general ed population that has stopped moving too, they just need to learn to enjoy to move. You know, they they really do. It sounds simple and whatnot. So I, I appreciate you bringing that up. Heidi, I think I, I we're going to have to bring you back for a part two. You and I went deep on like nerd now. On the, you know, what it, I love it. Preschool. But before I let you go, um, are you on social? Can people find you anywhere if they want to connect? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook. It's just under me. Just you can find me, Heidi Ambrosius, on Facebook. If You're they active wanna... in the groups on Facebook too. I want to tell everyone. I am very in active in the group. I can't keep yeah. my mouth shut. Um, <laughs> that's me. Yeah, I always have to throw my opinion out there. Um, with that, um, but um, if anyone wants to email me, I typically give out my college email, which is just Heidi.Ambrosius at csusb.edu. It's A M B R O S I U S, just because. I try to keep my district to my district stuff, uh, but always happy to connect with people. And I just want to say thank you for having this podcast. It's so invaluable for APE teachers to be able to connect with one another. And I think this is a really, really great, great way for us to be able to do that. So thanks for inviting me. And I look forward. Yes, let's do a part two sometime. Absolutely. And thank you for that. It's It's been fun. To, it's been fun for me to be the person that gets to talk to every person. So thank you for that. So all right, Heidi, I guess we're on the books. We'll do a part two. So until next time, I'll see you. Thank you.